In the quiet town of Eastwick, where nothing ever changes, three beautiful women are about to discover powers they never dreamed they had. Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. In this first series, we're bringing on special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of The Final Girls and your podcast host. This episode, things will get a little bit raunchy, because myself and my special guest, actor Zora Barbie-Brown, will be discussing the 1987 horror comedy The Witches of Eastwick, which is equal parts empowering, funny, problematic and terrifying. Based on a novel by John Updike, this big screen adaptation has a star-studded cast, leading with Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer and Cher as the titular witches, who unknowingly conjure up a devilish man into their small sleepy town of Eastwick. The man in question is Daryl Van Horn, an offensive charmer played by THE offensive charmer himself, Jack Nicholson. Daryl seduces all three witches and through their relationship and as it evolves, they grow to understand their powers. The film is full of sex, comedy, big hairdos and presents witchcraft as an aspirational empowering tool for women who have been trying to fit in into a stifling community. It deals with repressed sexuality and female creativity, slut shaming and the power of covens, even if they're accidental. Zora and I discussed the film in detail, so if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to give it a watch before listening to this episode. Who should we be looking for? He should be really handsome. Nice eyes. Now, the man of their dreams is here. Zora, thank you so much for doing this. Thank I'm you for so having excited. me. I'm excited too. I've been dying to talk about this film. I'm really, really happy you picked it. Yes, it's such a good film. And it's just, I mean, I rewatched it for the purposes mm. of this. And it was like, I mean, it was work, but not really. Just <laughs> <laughs> like I was trying to take notes and I was just watching it yeah. and not like taking any notes at all. Just Same. enjoying it. It was, it's such a good film. And um, can I ask you, when did you first encounter it? How did you first discover The Witches of Eastwick? I think it was just on TV when I was, I don't know how old I was young <laughs> like maybe 11 or something oh that's young for this film i think i don't think i was meant to be watching it but i did <laughs> um and i just loved it i was just i think i was getting into like horrors or films i shouldn't be watching at that point like that was a point where i started like definitely sneakily watching films i was banned from watching um and i just loved it yeah, I think, was it, probably The Witches was my first witch film. Mm -hmm. But this is probably a second, the second one. And what do you remember the most about it? The fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, big hair and like really cool outfits was the yeah. first thing I took away from it. <laughs> the hair, I mean, half of the character development for The Witches is basically just their hair. Look at how great their hair is, guys. <laughs> um, I was obsessed with it. I was like, I just want... All of, I think particularly Cher's hair I wanted. Well, the one bit when Cher has pigtails is just so great. And the little fashion things that were just, I don't know, so perfectly done. I was like, I want everyone's outfit <laughs> in this film. It's so good. All looked amazing. <laughs> I think that's what I took away from it. I was like, wow, they're all so beautiful and incredible. And what did you think about it kind of rewatching it for this? I, it's still, I, I still think it's so great. And I still have that thing about the fashion. I was like, I actually want to like buy some of these outfits. I want to like recreate them. 
and obviously I got more from it watching it all the stuff about being a woman and now I'm a woman in my 30s and the way you're viewed in society and the ways you reduce yourself to be acceptable to society and I'm not a mother but I imagine especially if you're a mother um the expectations there and I, I don't live in a small town obviously I live in London but I can only imagine that that's even like that's more heightened when you live in a small town so that was quite interesting all the ways that women are talked about and the way they view themselves and even the way they change when they feel more free like their hair Mm. their clothes their behavior the way they carry themselves yeah and so kind of let's talk a little bit about each individual which yes so we've got alexandra Mm -hmm. who's played by Cher, who's Mm -hmm. sort of the local sculptress and we've got jane who is played by susan sarandon who's the music teacher Mm -hmm. and cello player Mm -hmm. and suki who's a journalist and a mother of four kids six six yeah jesus i know Played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who did <laughs> not look like she'd had six Definitely kids. Definitely didn't look like she's popped out six kids, no. Yeah. So what? how would you describe each one of them? So I feel like uh, uh, Jane, who's Susan Sarandon, is the most repressed mm. one. She definitely is the one that holds herself. She's more pinned in one which is demonstrated by her like very tight plait from yes. for the beginning part of the film. Again, hair, hair character development. Plait yes. and glasses. Just is her, like, she's very, and she gets told her, like even her playing of the cello is prissy. Um, so she's the most pinned in one, which is actually interesting because she's the most susceptible to Daryl. So she has, she's the most repressed and gets the most out of the freedom that comes from him. The easiest, she's the easiest to like, be kind of switched by him or be kind of taken in by him and she's the one who seems to relish in it the most and get the most out of it and change the most I think by the end um Alexandra played by Cher is I think she's kind of the happy medium but she's tough but also it's kind of a mix of the two of them she can be wild but she can also be pinned in she's got one child um, so she's a mother, so she has to be a certain level of responsible, but is also kind of a free spirit. Well, I think we're a little young to just lock it up and throw away the key, you know? I mean, it's not natural. What are we doing with ourselves? You know, Ozzy's dead. I loved him. He's dead. Does that mean that I have to spend the rest of my life having drinks with you two every Thursday night? Um, who has a kid who kind of looks after herself, which kind of allows her to be this free spirit. Uh, and I can see her kind of hot with a foot in both camps. And Suki, I think she's the most in tune with her power. She's the one who first notices um, when she says about the rain, when the rain during that guy's speech, she's the one who first notices there might be something weird there, that there might be power there. She seems the one to be the one who understands it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, there's a there's a bit that's never really, not, not discussed, but when she's in her garden, she's got that basket full of vegetables. She's got this enormous, like, like marrow, I think it is. And um, she seems to be like green fink. She's like fertile in every part of her life. You see what I mean? She can make yeah. things grow. She has all these kids. She can make things grow. And it seems to be that, that for me seems like she's most in touch with like, her like earth mother like mm-hmm. kind of side of things um and then it rained uh, he's a liar and a lech and he deserved it 
No, no, I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about Walter. I mean, don't you think that's kind of strange that we were all... So we were all thinking the same thing at the same time, Suki. I mean, so what? I mean, it's not like it's going to get us on David Letterman. I know, I just had a drink. Good idea, Janie Party, baby. And she's the first one to really question their connection to Daryl and what it's doing and what it is. And it's also the calmest when the newspaper writes about them and what's going on at the house. She kind of addresses it in a more of a calm way and seems to understand the guy she works with his position more and that is probably to do with his wife and she's most sympathetic to Felicia and so yeah I think she's like the maybe the most powerful in, in a way she just knows herself the best I guess mm -hmm. is what it is. I find it really interesting as well that they come into their powers when they're all together mm. where they kind of unwillingly conjure up Daryl yeah when they're having drinks together and you know the lighting the lightning strikes just as they clink their glasses yeah cheers Cheers. And it there's something that I noticed for the first time having rewatched it for this, that Daryl refers to kind of women being single by death, desertion or divorce. And that's exactly why they're single. So they're celebrating Jane's divorce from mm -hmm. her husband and Suki was left by her husband and Alex's husband died. Mm -hmm. So they kind of represent singlehood because of those three reasons at the yeah. same time. And then they sort of talk about their ideal man and kind of all of them are quite different, but they conjure up this figure yeah. that comes into town. And it's like, they they seem to very slowly and through Suki, like you say, sort of realize that when they're together is when they're most powerful and they can make things happen in a way. Yeah, But it feels like they're unknowing witches. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely don't, there's an idea of it. I, I love the idea they accidentally make this cover. <laughs> an accidental cover, yeah. yeah. I kind of love that. And it kind of, for me, it speaks to the power that women don't know they have. And because they're all full of creativity, like, One's a journalist, one's a sculptress, one's a musician. They're all creative. And so they're maybe they're freer in the sense than their other female counterparts in the, in the town. But to my mind, it could have been any three women. Mm -hmm. um, That's interesting. Yeah, it just, it more it speaks to that they've, they found a special friendship and because they're open with each other and honest with each other and they have these regular Thursday meetings, so they try and do new things in their relaxed around each other they found this bond but I think any three women could form that bond and have that power um because I also I think it's not that the other women in the town couldn't be like that it's more that they're re repressed more of repression or more of a fear of those kinds of things or fear of that kind of stuff and because these women happen to explore it because Daryl comes specifically for them and it kind of opens the doorway to that power is the reason it's those three but i it is um because suki does notice it early on and i wonder if she's noticed other things before that mm. that made her go it's weird that we were all thinking hoping it would rain so that that guy would stop speaking and then it did like i wonder if there's any other little things that she's noticed on the way <laughs> to there like because we're obviously joining at the most interesting point but mm. so um yeah, I think any three women can make an accidental cover. 
<laughs> and it's interesting that like there's um you mentioned a few of them before as well of like some of their shared traits like they're all creative mm. in different ways it's interesting that they're all want to be mothers or are mothers in a way so Suki like you mentioned is extremely um kind of fertile yeah. makes things grow and has mm. uh, a lot of children and Alex has a child but kind of you know their relationship is kind of a little bit distant because yeah. the child is very self-sufficient and they say explicitly that Jane cannot have children but mm. it's like it seems like something of a frustration for her that she's not able to um to have kids but it's like they seem to all be restraining themselves in some way yeah like or sort of taking their positive qualities as negative ones or sort of trying to like you mentioned before sort of reduce themselves mm -hmm. in order to fit in a bit better into what's expected of them yeah so even kind of alex being a widow she kind of i think at the beginning is battling toward with this idea of what is expected of her as a widow and i think she share mentions this thing of like oh what am i going to do for the rest of my life have drinks with you on thursdays and that's it yeah yeah so it's they all seem to be also kind of explicitly talking about like feeling unfulfilled not necessarily just creatively but also like sexually so mm. when they're very explicitly kind of conjuring a man they're like straight up are talking about <laughs> how they want him to be and yeah. how they want him to like have sex with them yeah which i found like obviously that went completely above my head when i watched it as a kid but <laughs> yeah. re-watching it now i was like oh they're like very not repressed with each other but mm. clearly presenting like an image of themselves that's a lot more cool is the, maybe yeah word? like yeah. yeah they don't want to be viewed as unbecoming i guess or even though they don't i don't think they feel like the reason these three are friends is because they probably don't feel like the rest of the women in this town mm. but they can only be like that with each other and to the outside world they have to like have this public face because yeah it does quickly turn to sex you're right when they're talking about a man and then like penis size comes up quite a lot in the film which I didn't notice as a kid I was like oh this is, comes up like three times oh yeah I know I, I actually made a note of it and I was like oh all they're doing is talking about dick size in this yeah. movie and I was like okay well <laughs> like um so like even talking about Fidel when she goes mm. to push has lunch with it like he's like he's got huge and I'm like this is hilarious it just, just keeps coming up um <laughs> Um, but it, and even Felicia talks about it. Mm -hmm. Like she talks about sex with her, and she, it's it's so there's there's this connection to um what they're holding back and like sexual frustration or I guess or sexual freedom, which comes with the freedom in general. Um, which I it makes sense I guess when you're especially when you're a woman who's been if you're divorced or your husband's gone especially if you're a mother or your husband's died there are people for some reason who have an opinion about what you should be doing about dating or how you should move or whether you should move on at all or mm. um whether you're allowed to yeah yeah what you're allowed to do after that and so maybe that's why if they had just always been single and they were just allowed to be like dating or liking someone or whatever maybe it wouldn't be as potent mm -hmm. <laughs> but because there's this added pressure especially like if you're a mother of six I mean people are going to be she dates anyone there's going to be questions there there's going to be all kinds of things so yeah and let's talk about Daryl Daryl <laughs> Daryl 
<laughs> I mean, there's a few things that I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's interesting about him. <laughs> but um, kind of how do we first meet him in the film? He's in the back of Jane's concert, snoring like a kind of animalistic snore. Which is quite odd because <laughs> he's like, what? He's like there on purpose. <laughs> he's just like flat out asleep <laughs> for some reason. Falls off his chair and then like does this big like applause and whatever. Yeah, he's very garish and kind of yeah. trashy. But immediately Jane is like, oh, like, please. Even though he's just been sleeping through it. Mm. She's like completely already excited by him. Yeah. Um. And no one can remember his name. Yeah, there's this big thing about his name. Yeah. Even before we see him. Yeah, that everyone's like, oh, it's just on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. And then it's just after the concert when they're all talking afterwards and then everyone remembers at the same time. Yeah. And like her necklace breaks. And right? is it Suki who remembers it for the first time? Suki's like, oh, it's a D something, R something, L something. And it's kind of like simultaneous, like it's all that comes mm-hmm, several people mm-hmm. at the same time. And then Suki's necklace breaks and then Felicia <laughs> breaks a leg um yeah which is really interesting because it is there is like lots of stuff about naming a demon right if mm-hmm. you know its name yes and so it it's really interesting that that that's the thing that it needs to be collectively known at that point mm. i'm not even sure if i really know why before that they couldn't remember mm. maybe he was just waiting to reveal himself at that point when they were all together maybe it was more powerful but um yeah, Daryl's a. <laughs> I like that they describe when they're conjuring him. Mm-hmm. They say not too handsome, handsome but not too handsome, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of the perfect um, description of Jack Nicholson yeah. as well, who plays him. Yeah. What did you think about his performance? I think he's great because Jack Nicholson is equal parts fascinating and terrifying. <laughs> he just has that that kind of ability to switch between being quite charming but also being quite terrifying um yeah it's just he's um because he plays he played a few parts like that and you're just like he just he kind of conjures up that perfect and he is magnet he's that's why he's a movie star you can he's endlessly watchable Mm. and you can and there's the lady in the store who sells um alexandra's sculptures Mm -hmm describes in a really interesting way because she says he's she's like oh he's not handsome she's like he's not but she's like but his eyes he couldn't stop looking at his eyes and she had all these thoughts about like you know she's like oh I had all these thoughts about him and you're like yeah there is something there you could imagine if he was had all his attention on you it'd be really intense and you'd be a bit like I'm so glad you mentioned that bit with the lady in the store because yeah. she says this amazing line of like he's made me think things I haven't thought since World War II yeah which is like to have some, that ability to have and there are men like that where yeah. at a first glance you'd be like oh no like we're not attracted to that person but the, if they pay if they put all your their attention on you you'll suddenly like find yourself a bit like disarmed um and you don't really understand it you know he's like that's Stellan Skarsgård <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god He's exactly I, I like need that. to stop for a second there. That is so accurate. Jesus Christ. He's exactly 
airplane like that. He came into, when I worked in the cinema, he came in for a Q&A and he came to, and I didn't think I fancied Stellan Skarsgård. And then he came to the bar and I had to serve him drinks and I did not know what I was doing. I dropped so many things <laughs> just because he was so focused. And I was like, I don't really know what to do under like your gaze. Um, I kept dropping things and he was like, oh, you're quite clumsy, aren't you? And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> It was, and I was like, I completely understand. If he came to talk to me, I mean, I was like standing at a bar. I mean, five minutes. He yeah. was so charming. <laughs> and there's just something about his focus and I don't know. And like Jack Nicholson has that thing as right. well. Like uh, it's part of his charisma. Like, you yeah. know, when someone just focuses on you and it's like you're in a big, huge spotlight, essentially. So mm -hmm. like even you know within the film but also his persona outside of any kind of performance that he's done it's like that kind of charm and his notoriety as sort of a ladies man as mm -hmm. like a charming rogue and you know that also has negative connotations like you know he cheated on his long-term girlfriend angelica houston like yeah. so many times yeah. <laughs> but at the same time you know not to dismiss that at all but like that potency of that focus and that attention that certain people have mm. he's sort of i can't imagine anyone else aside from maybe stellan skarsgård <laughs> yeah, yeah playing that character who like doesn't necessarily on paper have anything particularly special like jack nicholson in this film is already sort of middle-aged quite balding yeah. you know quite pudgy mm -hmm. he's dressed in these like ridiculous clothes all film long yeah he sort of looks like a goober you know he's yeah. got the big <laughs> the like horrible pink shorts and the tall socks that he wears all the time <laughs> and then at the same time he's the most attractive man on screen yeah because the minute he like opens his eyes and zeroes in on someone there's this great scene you remember in when all three of the witches come visit him in his house and jane is already there and share well, share um alex <laughs> I has already thing. i was like share <laughs> alex has already sort of you know um been seduced by him mm. suki's the last one left and he just sort of completely ignores jane mm -hmm. and alex and just zeroes in on suki and they all know what's going on and she knows what's going on but at the same time it's like well what can you do yeah none of them even question him on it because um alex and jane are there like obviously annoyed or like thrown by it but don't can't seem to bring themselves to like say anything to him about it they're none of them are just like wait a second you've just they just let it happen because you understand that he's just gonna do what he's going to do he's that and and it's when you said the thing about spotlight it's true like it's because there are certain people i guess when they pay, focus on you I think there's a few celebrities like that, like male celebrities especially, where in interviews, people who are interviewing them have said, when they look at you, it feels quite, it's quite intense. It's like they see through you, it's very hard to hide yeah. from them. Or, And he's one of those people in the film, especially, um, because he's, he immediately like speaks right to the center of these women, like their fears or, says the things they want to hear or notice things about their life or them that they don't openly talk about or don't necessarily think they're presenting and he just sees right through it and he can act like this goober he can be this ridiculous man and still see all of this and it's it's that would be disarming I imagine like this guy who's just endlessly confident just is exactly who he is but then also just can just turn on this like spotlight and be like these things about your life and this is why you're frustrated and these are the things you're missing and i can fix that 
is would be but it's it's weird because he seduces all three witches mm. individually in very mm-hmm. different ways like yeah. he's sort of playing different versions of himself for each one of them yeah and it's interesting that with jane in particular he brings up witches himself mm-hmm. he like brings up what well, he has this whole you know speech about kind of that witches were kind of a method of oppression by the patriarchal system mm-hmm. especially kind of by male medical professionals who yeah. wanted to get rid of midwives who were taking away their jobs is kind of the story that he tells that's yeah. specific to that particular town they're scared their dicks get limp when confronted by a woman of obvious power and what do they do about it call them witches burn them torture them until every woman is afraid afraid of herself afraid of men and all for what fear of losing their heart on <laughs> but it's like he's sort of so playing into the feminist narrative yeah for each one of them yeah. in different ways what did you kind of think about that kind of re- especially if you're watching it as, as an adult yeah i think so it's really interesting because i was just like well he's not wrong and it, all the things he says to them about the way we women are treated or viewed I don't disagree with any of the things, but I'm like, just because it's true doesn't mean it's not a trick. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> so he reminds me of like a lot of like hackney fuck boys now who know they're meant to be a feminist. So they use the terminology and the right words and they say the right things like on a first or second date. But actually everything everything else about their behavior is like very misogynistic um and they don't actually want to get into deep discussions about it they want to say the words and be pat on the back or use it as a way to like lower your defenses yeah because you go oh you know about this stuff it's like no they just know the right language that's so interesting yeah so just knowing what you're saying and knowing that that's a thing that exists doesn't mean you're actually you actually care about it or Mm. live your life in any way that reflects that you know that so I'm like, he's just like <laughs> a lot of guys now who will use this thing to disarm you and to like speak to your particular struggle. <laughs> and then that will go out the window the minute they have what they want. And in, even in the way he throws tantrums and stuff, I was just like, <laughs> he's exactly like that. Like they didn't even know what they were doing, but they're just literally, <laughs> that's like men now. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting because he nails a lot of things. Uh, he's talking to Alex about, um the fact that she's smart in ways she doesn't even know she's smart and how she reduces herself and like how men want her to be reduced and how women are actually usually thinking about other things and men are obsessed with like the smaller things and where he's like saying how men are just worried that they're not going to be able to like get it up for certain things they reduce women because they're like oh yeah when they meet powerful women and it scares them and they don't want to do with it. So they rather make them smaller so because they're worried that they won't be able to get it up for. And I was like, this is all like actually like really detailed, like really <laughs> specific analysis that is clever. It's just coming from this person who's using it for his gain rather than actually trying to do anything with it. Yeah. And it's interesting that even kind of, as you mentioned before, Suki's the only one to sort of see through him. Yeah. And when her turn comes, she's very nonchalant about it. And she's yeah. like, oh, are you going to seduce me now? Yeah. And he's seduction with her is much simpler. Yeah. He knows she's I, she's the most in tune and the most powerful. Like Suki's, a, and I don't think I found, when I watched it when I was younger, her character's interesting. And this mm. watch around, I found it a lot more interesting. Cause I was like, she's, 
she just knows herself. She knows what this is. She's much more understanding of what's going on in the situation. Absolutely. Um, and that's why I think as well, when they leave him, um, when they decide it's a bad idea to keep going to the house and stuff, he punishes her the most. Yeah. Because she's the one who understands the most. And I think it's very interesting that her punishment is very physical, very painful and like almost killing her to a point. I was like, it's because she knows the most. And and I think, yeah, it speaks to who, how powerful, she already knows it's Dale. She knows from the big off it's, mm. and I, yeah. So I find it very, I find her character very interesting that she's most, yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. So again, did not realize it when I first watched it, but they essentially become a polyamorous mm-hmm. couple. Well, quadruple. Quadru- quadru- <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. begin a polyamorous relationship yeah. between all th- four of them, yeah. which is never actually mentioned or named no. in the film. It's just really casual-like. And a couple of times the witches are talking amongst themselves and they're like, oh, maybe we should stop for a bit mm-hmm. because it's getting a bit tense or the town folk are going to come after us or whatnot. Yeah. But they sort of completely throw themselves into it and find themselves being quite happy and content and yeah. liberated by this four-way relationship. And I thought that was like kind of surprisingly chill about it, kind <laughs> yeah. of in the whole film. Like they don't name it. They don't mm. go into specifics. They don't try to position it as one thing or another. It's just sort of there yeah and it works for them for a while yeah and it it is that is because when I watched it as a kid I remember being in my brain my kid brain it was like quite a sexy film and when you rewatch it I'm like there's actually not very much sex you see the beginning of all like as in like you see him kiss each one of them at the beginning of the the seduction. seduction yeah but that's it and you kind of know there's something going on but it's never talked about really. None of them talk about, apart from Cher the first time when she talks about the first time she slept with him and how mm-hmm. she feels about it. But that's a very short conversation. I don't believe it. Neither do I. But I swear to God, I can barely walk for two days. <laughs> <laughs> he has his most amazing penis. It bends the wrong way. What do you mean it bends the wrong way? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> I mean, it kind of bends like that. You're terrible. No, I'm not, I'm fabulous. And then they never talk about it after that. Even the fact they're all pregnant, like when I was watching, I was just like, it's interesting because they don't actually discuss the fact that they've all, and it's been going on for quite a while, I'm guessing at this point. Mm-hmm. And even, is it Cher's daughter, Alexandra's daughter, I'm just going to share, is um, they're going, the townspeople are saying, oh, your mother's like the horrible D word for a lesbian. But like, mm. and I'm like, so they know, they're aware that there's a crossover there because they don't question that that's what happened. They're just like, oh, that's yeah. horrible that they're saying that to your kid. But don't question what they're doing up there. And um, and there's that horrible scene as well with Jane when she just goes to the supermarket to buy mm-hmm. some stuff, you know, and she her transformation is the most physically noticeable one mm-hmm. because she goes from being a very prim, you know, bottled in tight hair and a bun big Mm. glasses and kind of a lot of beige clothes Mm. to being this like wild you know wild red hair out there kind of wearing really kind of lovely you know midriff showing off kind of clothes yeah not like particularly revealing just kind of like much more eclectic and colorful and her movements begin to be like a lot more unrestricted Mm. she sort of wanders around the supermarket and she's eating some pickles and she grabs this newspaper and there's this article about all of them 
and you see this row of women all dressed in beige yeah <laughs> <laughs> just staring her down and one of them calls her a slut mm. and it's just this very i found that to be one of the most violent scenes in the film where yeah. it's just like staring down and shaming this woman for something they have no idea about and no business in and yeah it affects them in no way right it's and it's that thing of because what are those women really afraid of is it their own sexuality their own mm. like yeah because there's that whisper at the end right she's like not wearing a bra and it's this whole thing and they're not wearing a bra thing because I remember I don't usually wear a bra because I have very big boobs and they're very uncomfortable and, and I remember when I stopped wearing one when I was maybe like 21 or 22 and having like aunties and stuff be like oh it's so indecent that you're not wearing it and I was like and this idea and the older I got I was like why is it that <laughs> like literally they like bras serve a function if you like have a certain like size of boob or whatever you're wearing a certain outfit then I completely understand but if you're not or if you just don't like wearing one like they're literally a fun meant to be a functional thing not like a decency <laughs> Well, it's interesting the word indecent it's like yeah. you're indecent if you don't wear a bra it's not the people looking at you right. that are indecent for looking at you and at your breasts yeah and there's also if people don't look at breasts if you're wearing a bra anyway I was like does that stop people I don't think it does I don't think it does what you think it does uh, <laughs> I think there are some people who look at boobs whatever is going on that I'm yeah. wearing um but yeah I find that the most like difficult scene as well because and it's even the woman who calls her a slut won't look at her after so you can't even say it really to her face Mm. and I find it interesting because Jane's obviously enjoying this freedom as so much but that really she just leaves the supermarket buying any of her stuff that really throws her so she's still so scared of being judged Mm -hmm. um even though she's enjoying this and because she's been in her little bubble up at the house it really throws her that people think that about her and they didn't used to she was like this she's had cancellations for her students. She still obviously cares about her job and she hasn't reconciled those two mm-hmm. sides of her yet. And I find it really fascinating actually, that reminds me of, so when she's teaching the, when she's conducting the music class and she's more free Jane and she's dancing around and making the kids like dance around and that guy who sexually harassed her at the beginning, mm-hmm. he sees her and he's scared. He like runs down the hallway and I was like, that's really interesting that he's like afraid of her suddenly, which they never really come back to, they never address, but there's something he sees that is just like terrifying for him. And it's because I guess he's one of those men that Dow was talking about, that a woman's power is actually quite terrifying for him. He's, his enjoyment of women or his, yeah, it comes from them being weaker than him. Yeah, it's a power game yeah. as opposed to um, actual attraction. Yeah, but the fact he's actually afraid of it is fascinating. Because <laughs> she's yeah. not doing anything. She's literally just like having fun with the kids. But he's just like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. he's seen a ghost. Um, so, I, yeah, I do. It's very, um, it is very interesting. And I think it's the same with the women. And the women are afraid also. But I think their fear manifests itself in a, in attack rather than actually like pulling back from... And what do, you, what do you think about the other kind of main female character in the film, aside from the witches, is Felicia. Felicia. I really like Felicia. First of all, that performance is 
can't remember the actress's name, but Veronica she's Cartwright. incredible. Cartwright. Like her performance is so, and watching it back, I was like, my God, like she is, really has the hardest, I think, job in this film because it's such an erratic, she's like, yeah, there's a bit where she's like, <laughs> vomiting up cherry cherry bits yeah. and I was like, she's her voice is so even at the beginning of she's still just talking but she's these cherry pips and like stalks coming out of her mouth that made me not be able to eat cherries for a really long time as well so disgusting <laughs> so uh, like I still like kind of look away when it's happening I'm like oh my god that's really upsetting that's <laughs> I don't know how they film this but what um and I actually really love Felicia because I think Felicia's a witch too oh because Go she on. knows immediately that something bad is coming to town immediately she's like something bad's happening something bad's coming she's in when she someone says someone bought the lennox estate she drops whatever she's holding like a pot of something in the flower she's holding mm -hmm. and she's just like and then she's talking to her husband and she's like something evil's coming something bad's coming and she phrases it she puts it in context of like she's like oh the birds and that's like that's not what she's really worried about um and the whole thing where she's seeing things and when she's like, there's something evil, there's something wrong. And the reason she's so attacked, obviously I think it's Daryl doing the stuff, her leg break, her being like slowly, like seemingly to lose her mind. And like, that's Daryl protecting himself. Himself, because what would happen if she did actually get close to these other three women? An even more powerful coven probably. And, but she has a very specific, idea of what's evil and what's not so it would be dangerous for him he can't win felicia over so he kills her yeah um and that scene as well when she's murdered yeah is kind of one of the 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 real horrific scenes of the film so yeah. there's not that many scenes of sort of violence or yeah. horror but that is the first one that mm. sort of really for me twists the tone of the film from kind of uh a sort of a sex comedy almost yeah. with tinges of the supernatural and the witchy to oh no 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 he's actually an evil devil yeah. character and he's making them do this stuff not for them but in order to protect themselves mm. and like that cherry pit scene is horrific like so horrific yeah and, like it's really visceral and like it would just not stop and then to the point where her husband played by baby Richard Jenkins, yeah. <laughs> uh, who at like 40 something looks like it's a baby. Um, he he eventually just like goes mad and murders her yeah. in cold blood. And it's like, we don't see the actual murder. We just hear it. And then we see all this like blood spatter on the walls. Yeah. But it's also that plays into he's scared of his wife. And it plays into that whole scared of, obviously it's like it presents someone quite a terrifying way, but he's scared of her power and scared of, the stuff she says, he doesn't want to listen directly to anything she's saying. He doesn't want to like look at it directly. Um, because at that point she's saying, he's inside me. She's vomiting cherry pits. Like what, how many cherries would you have to have eaten to, for that? To, do you mean something's going on? <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, and also it, it, the idea, it like presses against the idea of this, um, women being mad like when women are talking about things you don't understand it's like madness he dismisses everything as just she's not well something's wrong with her head rather than listening to her and that's obviously in history a thing that's been done to women and it's so easy to write things they feel or saying off because it's like oh even when he's feeding her he's literally trying to shut her up by feeding her more when she's in hospital because he just doesn't want to hear it 
um, at no point does he ever sit and look at her and listen to what she's saying. And I actually think, I think Felicia's like presented as the, the, as the villain almost in the film, but I don't think she is. I think she's worried I think she knows how to deal with it, but I think she's worried about something evil because she's absolutely right. There is something evil. And even at the end, when she's saying he's inside me, she one of the last things she says is those poor women, I have to warn them. So she's not actually necessarily against them. And re-watching it as an adult, because I, as a kid, I thought she was a villain. I remember there's like this bad character. And re-watching it now, I was like, she doesn't actually ever say anything directly bad about them she never actually calls them any names she's like there's stuff going on up there that is bad and but she doesn't actually direct it at these women and it's kind of attributed to her all the way the women behave but I personally think the women would have behaved that way anyway but yeah her last one of her last thoughts is those poor women because she realizes they're being manipulated too and he's inside of them too and she says they're gonna actually she says they're gonna have his kids he's gonna she's gonna they're gonna have his sons she has vision so i think she's magical also um she just doesn't know how to do and it's being turned against her that oh power my God, you're so right yeah she's a witch too and she could have been in another world she could have been part of that coven um but yeah he made sure she wasn't he made sure she was kept far away from even by hospitalizing her that early the minute his name is mentioned felicia is hospital hospitalized and separated from a lot of the rest of society right especially those women and then when she comes when uh uh Suki's the only one that comes to visit her and she like freaks out when Suki walks in so he separated her immediately from these women and the only reason I could see is that he could it's easier for him to manipulate them without that voice there but yeah I love her what did you think about the ending because after Felicia's death it sort of all starts to escalate mm. into um a lot more outright supernatural stuff so they mm -hmm. sort of do make a voodoo doll out of uh daryl and sort of try to hurt him banish him in that way and then he becomes some sort of big er cgi creature <laughs> early cgi creature <laughs> yeah um i quite, he looks like a giant dick monster basically. he does <laughs> like it's very because like oh can you like plasticine as well so you're just like oh um but i i quite like because it's so short that bit that i quite like that they kind of you don't even really see fully see it and even watch it were you watching i had to like pause it because i was like i'm not sure i actually know what this it's so quick the flashes of it and I think they did need to, if he just kind of disappeared, it would have felt a bit anticlimactic. So I like that there's an idea that he's just actually this much bigger, much more mother. Even when he comes in the house and his foot's like out of his shoe, it's like this weird, <laughs> like big, like foot. And I'm like, there's so, he's, he's wearing like a human suit. He's like a demon. That's not, he's not in his true form or whatever. Mm. And I think it's quite nice that we kind of get a glimpse of because it needs to feel like he was actually this big scary thing not just a man um we have to remember that he's something else he's just playing the role of a man right now yeah and it's difficult to remember that if he's you know his costume is a very charming jack nicholson yeah and then he just kind of dies or disappears. it would be a bit mm -hmm. like oh was he just a man <laughs> so i think it needed to get to that and it's only so quick 
I do love the bit where they're like running through the house like they try and pretend that they're all reading when he comes back and they're like oh no this is not (laughs) this is not gonna work um and how literal the doll is like he's just literally flying around and and it's the first time they really are actively using their powers that's the first time they really go we're gonna do specific things Mm -hmm. to use our powers to protect ourselves rather than accidentally using them um so I quite like that, that that's how powerful they are. The first time they choose to use it, again, he, they get rid of him because that's how powerful the three of them are together. And I think realizing that they're stronger than him um, in that moment is really, I really like it. <laughs> I do think it's like, I think it's great. I get why it looks a bit like weird now. <laughs> I really like, and it really scared me when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, that end bit when he comes in the house, he's terrifying. Um, all the way up to the bit when they actually kill him, I was like, oh my God, really freaked me out. <laughs> and it's really interesting that the end when they're kind of, you know, he's banished and he's mm. gone and they're sort of living life in his old house. Mm-hmm. Still all three of them living together with their kids and also the sons they, that they had by Daryl. Yeah. And he pops up on the television. Mm. So his image still pops up kind of in this weird several screen installation (laughs) of different tvs which looks great makes very little sense to have in a house (laughs) really but looks fab yeah and he pops up kind of trying to attract the children to Mm -hmm. him and there's sort of like that little bit of menace as well left in him and do you remember when suki mentions that thing of like oh we should not think about him when we're all together yeah it's like again she's the one that knows sort of understands a bit more about what they can do yeah and how their power can align and manifest itself outside even of their control and it's very interesting because they are sitting together and like they just know she's thinking about him so they've obviously connected to that a bit more where they're like stop it because they know they can sense each other more and it's interesting that jane's the one who's thinking about him jane's still the most susceptible still the one who misses him even when they're doing the voodoo doll stuff she's like oh will it hurt him it's like obviously it will <laughs> but she's like worried about it um she's still she's in love she's the most in love with him mm-hmm. like genuinely is like oh he's like my boyfriend now and it's like no, no. honey <laughs> no he's not and i think it's interesting as well so it's kind of implied the first scene after they all kind of become okay with them being in this quadruple couple um that the kids also living in the house um suki's kids and alexandra's kid because they're they're all with them they're just kind of not really seen and the kids are kind of what's the word communal in a way the way they treat the children that they're kind of all their kids Mm -hmm. anyway they kind of just you know very comfortable or very normal that they're all just together yeah and I think it's very interesting at the end when they've had the three boys and all all of them are living in the house that every single room is like a kid's room after Mm -hmm. that the kids toys every room is set up for kids there's no like room that's theirs and no specific kids playroom. There are literally toys in every room we see. So the whole that whole thing becomes about the children, which is really interesting. And I, I wonder why. I feel like children in general in that film have more of a significance than maybe I've caught on to, but Well that's that's fascinating to mention it because usually witches are presented as 
um, children hating characters. So yeah. kind of their big one of their big transgressions against sort of what's expected of women is the fact that they don't like or don't want children mm. or they very actively seek to hurt children. Usually, you know, I'm thinking of films like Hocus Pocus or mm. even The Witches, you know, yeah. where they hurt children in order to get something from them, usually kind of involved with kind of maintaining their youth and their beauty and so on and so forth. But here, they're mothers. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, all of them are mothers and they have the shared responsibility, but also they are there to protect their kids. Yeah. And they create this sort of safe haven for them. Like you mentioned, that's all designed for the children yeah. as opposed to for themselves necessarily. Mm -hmm. So that kind of feels weirdly both very um conservative but at the same time transgressive kind of based on what we're used to seeing from witches yeah but i also think it's um it's quite modern way that these three single women are just all raising their children together and all of them play, kind of play the role of mother to any child that happens to be around and that's how they were kind of living before that as well so i quite like the idea of well, you just kind of look after your friends' kids or your kids and that's just kind of how it works and it's all fine and you don't actually need, you, you can, three of you can be parents to these three, like to all these children. I think it's like seven children at the beginning and then 10 at the end, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, there's this idea that they're just kind of surrounded by kids this whole time, like almost like a gut, like, do you mean these like, these fertile like women witches surrounded by like children and babies and like kids toys and that's what they do and that's how they live. Um, so I do, and it kind of puts me in mind of, um, so you mentioned Hocus Pocus and uh, witches, whereas yeah, they're about, it's about getting children to steal their youth um but it reminds this film reminds me kind of more of uh practical magic in that sense of like children being this precious like because you're going to bring them up and they're also going to maybe be powerful and they're also and they're like precious for that reason and s specifically in practical magic because it is two aunts raising two girls and then Sandra Bullock on her own raising two girls and this idea that it's this feminine transaction and all the kids they have before are women, are girls, right? So all of um, Suki's six are girls and Alexandra has a girl. And it's like, I wonder what the difference is with these three boys now. They're these three boys that maybe they have to be a bit more protective of that's a bit different. And yeah, it's really interesting um, when, when it's about witches having children because it is always passed down from girl to girl. And are these boys gonna be like Daryl? <laughs> are they, you know, is that what they're protecting them from? Is that Will they be protected because they're surrounded by all these women? Will the daughters be witches as well? Will they understand? Will they ever teach them about it? Or yeah, I find it fascinating. I would love to see like a second version yeah. of it. <laughs> I mean, there is a second book. There so is a second book. Maybe there's something in there. Maybe. Thank you so much for your time and for Thank your insights. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can people find more of your work online or elsewhere? Well, I'm an actor. Um, I actually play a witch in Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. So Kept that quiet. <laughs> it's all very connected. I'm a French witch. Um, <laughs> and, uh, what's it? A pure blood French witch um, who's a noted beauty in Paris, apparently. So <laughs> according to the script, like I didn't say it. That's what the script said. So I'm just saying, yes, I'm an actor. So you, if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I'll post about work I'm doing or stuff like that.
And that's it for another episode of the Final Girls podcast. Please do rate, subscribe and share your favourite share gifts with us on social media. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgirls.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook on at thefinalgirlsuk. You can also follow Azora on Twitter at Azora underscore BB and Instagram at Azorasaurus. I hope his dick is bigger than his IQ.